book of Ruth, we're going to kind of do a 30,000 feet flyover of this book. Okay, you say why? Because it's four chapters. It's one of two books that are written about women in the Bible. And so we're going to kind of do a, a 35,000 feet flyover because we're going to cover all four chapters in about 15, 20 minutes. Okay. And uh, this, you thought I talked fast this morning. I may talk just a little bit faster. Okay. So if it's one of those where you've got to go back and listen to the podcast or something to kind of catch it, uh, you can do that. There are no notes in your worship guide. Normally there are notes. We provided you with a pen and there's no notes. So I don't know if you're the type that likes to draw on your hand or you want to just pick a blank spot in the worship guide, you, there will be some uh, thoughts up on the screen. But really, today is just one of those days where we're gonna um, not going to spend long on this part because I believe what we're going to do at the end of the service is almost more impactful. Uh, we're talking about this morning change, change. And this is kind of a one-off message in that and that thought, and dealing with the topic of change. And I don't know if you're like me, but change doesn't always come easily, uh, any type of change. I was reading this week, and the last uh, several months, I've been doing CrossFit, and I'm talking to the trainer, and he was like, you know, Micaiah, for you, it's a lot harder to gain weight than it is to lose weight. He's like, that's just the reality of it. He's like, you're going to have to increase your calorie tape because you're, you're wanting to see some change, but it's not going to be easy. Have you ever noticed it's easier to get in debt than out of debt? Anybody ever notice that? What about this? It's easier to get in a relationship than out of a relationship, isn't it? There are things that it's easier to get into, but it's really hard to get, get, get out of. Because change isn't, doesn't just come naturally. And if you're like me, that you have a hard time with change, what's so difficult about change is that you're changing whether you want to or not. You're a day older than you were yesterday. I'm looking at our two kids. We've got a five-year-old little girl, and I've got a three-year-old little son. And I went all summer without giving him a haircut. And so he was just kind of growing it out. And he just looked cute and kind of a uh, homely little kid and everything. And so finally, yesterday, I told him to get a haircut. And then I about started tearing up because he's sitting on my lap getting his haircut. And as they cut his hair, I was like, he's like a real little boy now. Like, what happened to the baby Austin? What happened to that cute little dude that, and I'm like, he's growing up, and I'm having one of these moments where it's like, you know, and I'm like, it's fine. Someone's cooking onions or something, you know. I don't know what's going on, you know. And then I look at Megan, and she's already doing first grade. I'm just kind of like, where did the time go? And for some of you that have teenagers, you're like, enjoy it because they change. And little demons come out. No, no. Uh, it's like you just see these things happening. You see things that are changing whether you want to or not. Change is happening. And so we see that when it comes to change, it's happening. But have you ever realized that you needed to change something, some area, some part of your life, maybe a hang-up or some hurtful habits of your life, and you just were thinking, ah, I know I need to. It's just really, really hard. I just want to say it right now. Changing for the better is never easy. It's really not. It's one of the hardest things you'll do. It's one of the hardest things that I do. But I want, I want you to get this thought in your mind as we dive into Ruth. Change is an event followed by a process. Change is an event followed by a process. You say, what do you mean? Change is the event that you say, I'm going to lose weight. So you start the diet. There's the event. But it's followed by a process. Change is the event I became a Christian, got saved, followed by a process. Walk that out. Live that out. Change is an event followed by a process. You got married. Now you got to work on that marriage. Change is an event followed by a process. You started that job. Now you've got to keep that job. You started the relationship, the event. Now you've got to keep going. 
So change is an event followed by a process. A lot of times we just want this quick change. We just want to take a pill that just changes us. We just want to um, believe that that ad will really deliver what it says it will. That if I wear that suit, all of a sudden, I'm just going to have it together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be something. But it doesn't happen like that. There's a process, and we're going to see that. Notice if you would, I'm going to read seven verses in Ruth chapter number one. It will be up on the screen. If you have your Bible, that's great. If you didn't, don't worry. I brought mine just in case. And so we're going to read verse number one down through verse number seven. Here's what the Bible says. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, um, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Can you imagine naming your children Malon and Chilion? I just think that would be awesome if they played basketball. And they get announced, starting guard, Malon and Chilion. And I just think that would be fun, you know? And just like maybe some paprika for a sister or something. It seems like that would work, okay? Just go with me. I know it's weird. Just go with me. I'm just trying to keep you guys engaged, all right? So number, verse number three, okay? And Elimelech's. Uh, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return into the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. In verse number one, they left because of a famine. There was no food. They left. Okay? And they're gone. We know at least ten years. The Bible does say ten years. And what brings Naomi back? She heard that there was bread. Here's something. This is not part of the message, but I want to give this to you because I think it will be a help. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. You see, God did restore the famine. God did end the famine. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Some of you are about to make a decision that's a very bad decision. And the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Should you step into that relationship? How about wait on the Lord to bring the right relationship? Should you start that job venture? How about to make sure that you and your wife are both on board with that next step? Making sure that this next step is the right decision for you. Because it's a whole lot better to have waited on God than to wish you had. Okay? That was free. That was bonus verse number seven. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return Unto the land of Judah, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we look at this topic of change that we would be encouraged, that we would see in your word that you want to transform us, that there are hang-ups in our lives, that there are hurts, there are things in our lives that you want to change, that you want to do differently. And I pray this morning that you would speak through your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what I simply cannot do. I pray that you would touch. I pray that you would speak. I pray that real change would happen here. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. Pray now that you'd bless. In Jesus' name, amen. Change is an event followed by a process.
Here is a woman who had gone away, and now she is coming back. She's coming back to what she knows uh, she needs to be, where she ought to be, but it's, but it's difficult. And maybe that's where you're at. There's been a great change that's happened. You've been saved, or there's been some great change, but you're not living that out. You're not, you're not following that through. I believe that we are to help each other reach our full redemptive potential. That's what we need to do to, to, to get to that point where we are where we ought to be. And that's where one another is so important, why we encourage one another. But how do we get there? And I want to walk through three simple steps this morning on that process. And first of all, we see it is we need to come to the end of our efforts, the end of our efforts. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean the end of our efforts? You see, in this time, the children of Israel, God said, hey, you're my holy children. You're mine. I want to keep you separate from the other nations, the other countries. Because God knew if they started to get to be friendly with those nations, those countries, they would fall into idolatry. What's that? That's the worship of other gods and idols. And so that's why God said, no, no, no. I want my people, my children to stay in their area. But... Here's this family. They decided, hey, there's a famine. I'm, I'm going to venture off on my own. I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to do my own thing. Here's one thing I've noticed, that there's always compensation for our sinful conduct. There's always compensation for our sinful conduct. You say, what is that compensation? It's condemnation. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's always a compensation for our conduct. And so here it is, this woman, she has suffered. She's gone outside the will of God. She's gone outside of what she knew she ought to do. And now she's come to this point where it's like, I need to go back. She came to a point where she had to and her efforts. Some of you, you're trying to change. There's something you want to see change, but I need you to understand something, and this is almost going to rub you the wrong way, okay? And it's going to seem paradoxical. We've admitted that there's an area in our life we need to change, but I need you to understand this, that you can't change. You see what I mean? You can't change it. I say, what do you mean? Let me drive this point home a little bit. That thing you want to change in your life, if you could change it, you already would have. That's the reality. There's a reason you can't change it. There's a reason it hasn't changed. Because you can't. You can't. And so many Christians are so frustrated because they're saying, I need to change this thing. I've got this bad habit. I've got this anger issue. I've got this temper. I've got this relationship. And, and I've tried so hard. Yeah. What has that done? Matter of fact, isn't this amazing? The more you try, almost the more frustrated you get. But what we like to do is we come to church and, man, we get there and we say, hey, how are you doing? And we always say, this is the classic line, I'm doing good, brother. Everything's great. And matter of fact, we got code. We say, I'm blessed. Really? That's code for, guess what? My life's screwed up. Everything's jacked up. It's horrible. But I'm blessed. That's because you can't really get honest with people. Because there's things about you that you would love to change. You would admit that, hey, man, I'm an alcoholic, and I got this issue, and I lose my temper, and my marriage sucks, and everything's going bad. No, no, we, we don't do that. Instead, we say, I'm blessed. Really? Because there's things about us we want to change. But we have to get to the point where we realize, I can't change them. And I don't know, for some of you, you don't like that. Because that puts you at a vulnerable position. 
You like to think that you are in control. You like to think that you can change it, that you can fix it, that you can do something about it. But the problem is we need to end our efforts. And I know last week, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, you just said embrace effort. What happened last week is embrace effort. Yeah, that was about reaching the lost. This has to do with you. And for some of you, this may help you because you're in a relationship and you're looking at your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you're looking at your spouse and you're saying, why won't they change? Guess what? They want to change. They can't. And you can't change them. You're not. And the moment you realize that, that can be a breakthrough moment in your marriage. You're not going to change them. And and I'm not saying don't give up. I'm not saying give up. I'm not saying don't pray for them. I'm not saying don't encourage them. I'm just saying by you continuing to nag and by continuing to push and by continuing to just kind of say, well, this should be better if it was like this. It's not going to change. You see, the one that can change is Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit who comes inside of us. And at that moment, that great change, he begins to it. But we've got to come to that moment where we say, you know what, I'm done. Because the only change you and I can bring is superficial. It's not significant, and it's not supernatural. We can only do the superficial. All I can do is I can change the outside. I can make myself look really good in front of you. I am awesome in interviews. It's just keeping the job that's hard. I can get a job in an interview. I can say anything I want. Man, I can make that resume look so good. I'd literally put this in a resume. I could sell ice to an Eskimo. Not a problem. I could do it. Easy. I could sell television to blind people. I just know I could. It was no problem. Interview, man, I was on. I would have the bosses like calling another manager. They're like, this guy's hilarious. And they're like, let's give him a shot. I could just get job. It wasn't hard. But keeping the job was different. Why? Because I could put on the front. And we're really good at that. You're really good at covering up our issues. I'm really good at covering up my issues. But the problem is, our issues are so rooted inside of us, we can't change them. And some of you, you're really frustrated about it. And I want to help you this morning. I want to help you to realize that that thing you want to change, that it, whatever it is, you can't change it. Not alone. And so you've got to come to the end of your efforts. Naomi had to come to the point where she realized, I thought this would be a better life. I thought if we moved out of Bethlehem, I thought if we had a fresh start, isn't that the way we think? If I just leave this area, if I just leave this city, it's just this town. It's this town. It's these people. I just, I just need to have a fresh start and it'll all be better. Guess what? Her problems followed her, didn't they? Because the greatest problem, and this is going to hurt, my greatest problem, your greatest problem, is not the person next to us, not the person in front of us, not the person behind us. It is us. That person that's in that seat. It's us. And here's what's amazing. We take us with us everywhere. That's the issue. And for some of you, you're like, how come every relationship I'm in is frustrating? How come every job I'm in that I have the same issue? How come no matter what school I transfer to, I have the same problems? Because of you. And I know, I know. If you could change you, you would, but you can't. So you need to end your efforts. You need to come to the point where you're saying, no, no, I'm going to go back. I need to go back. But notice this, if you would, verse number 19 in the same passage, okay? So they go back. And here's what's so powerful in this passage. So in this passage, they go back. 
And in verse number 19, here's what happens. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. She said, no, I, don't, call me Na- don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter, because God's dealt harshly with me. We need to end our efforts, but then we need to stop our shame. Stop our shame. You see, what happened here? Whenever we failed, we cover it up. We have three circles, okay? I need a whiteboard to really do this justice, and I'll teach on this sometime. The first circle, the small circle, I taught this in our growth group, is us. It's our self. It's our real self. Outside of that circle, the second circle, is our shame. Something that's happened in your past that you don't want anybody to know about it. We all have it. Everybody's got an issue. You've got something where you were bullied, something bad, something inappropriate happened, and you cover it up. That's the third circle. You're covering that up. Here is Naomi. She left and she had all these hopes and dreams and she kind of like shaking off the dust of Bethlehem and we're going on to the big city and we're going to make it. And my family, we're set. And she comes back empty. All she has, she's a widow with no sons, no husband, and nobody to take care of her. But she's got a daughter-in-law that's with her. She's come back empty and broken. And all of a sudden she says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wrap myself in this shame. So what you do is because you can't change you, you wrap yourself in shame. And we have these shameful thoughts. You say, what do you mean? I'm so stupid. You say that to yourself. You don't let anybody else say it to you, but you say it to you. I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot. I'm so dumb. Nobody else is allowed to say that to you, but you just kind of, there's this soundtrack. And it just seems like it's on repeat. And it's constantly playing in your mind. Constantly. I call it the cycle of shame. And it's just on repeat in your mind. Anytime you make a mistake, you're constantly like, oh, man, I'm just an idiot. I'm a failure. I'm the problem. I'm the issue. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. But we need to stop the shame. You see, shame is the emotion of having done something wrong or foolish. But we need to stop that shame. I don't know about you. Have you ever done something that you really ended up regretting later on? We all have. You're in a room filled with people who have made mistakes. That's just who we are. We're people. We all have that thing that we just wish we could regret. Some of us, your regret is hilarious. It's funny. You could tell the best story over dinner about your regret. Some of yours, it's harder. You had a relationship with a mother or a father and you didn't restore it and that person passed on and now you've got this void where you don't have any closure and it's sad. But we've all got that thing that we've wrapped in shame and I'm here to tell you that's not going to help change you either. Wrapping yourself in the shame is not going to fix the problem. It's not going to change anything. You need to stop the shame. You see, guilt is that feeling that something is wrong. Guilt is good. I know we don't like to feel guilt. And that's what stops a lot of people from coming to church. They say, when I go to church, all of a sudden, I feel guilty because I haven't been doing all the stuff I've been supposed to do it. And so I, I don't like to go to church. I got that guilt. Guilt is, reveals that there's something wrong. Shame tells you you are wrong. That's your fundamental, at your core, something is 
epically broken about you. And it's not. You were created in the image of God. Yes, maybe you've fallen in a sinful state, but God says, hey, once I've come inside of you, once I've redeemed you, I've changed you, I've called you, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And here's the thing. You've wrapped yourself in shame, but God says, wait, all things are become new. Not just the parts of you that you think are good. Here's what we get in our mind. We think the parts of us that have changed are the good parts. We think, well, yeah, God redeemed my personality. I've got just a stellar personality, so that's redeemed. God redeemed my winsome character because that's redeemable. But guess what? God didn't just redeem the parts of you that are nice. God redeemed all of it. So for you to continue to go through this shame is counterproductive. For you to look at your life and look at that moment, to look at that episode, and look at that thing, and you're just saying, I wish I hadn't done it. God's saying, hey, you're a new creature. Why are you focusing on that? That's done. That's over. God doesn't care, so to speak. But what we do is we constantly look at our life and think, well, God only redeems the good parts, the bad parts. He just kind of says, well, it stinks to be you. No. God says, you're a new creature, all of you, every part of you. Not just your future, but also your present and your past. God says it's all different. But what we like to do is we just kind of get hung up on the parts of us that are so dysfunctional. But God is saying, no, no, I want to change that. So remember, God is in the business of redeeming our regrets. I grew up in a small town, Fresno. Not a very big city. But we had this place that was called River Park. River Park was kind of... The equivalent here would be Santana Row, except without all the very expensive stores. But River Park was a place to hang out in Fresno. Fresno is not a big city. We have a few people that they've been there. They are blessed. I mean, one of the seven wonders of the world, okay, is River Park in Fresno. And we would go there on Friday nights. There's a place to hang out. All the restaurants were there. There was um, the theater was there. Arcade was there. And Best Buy. So it was just a great place to be all together, all right? So we would go hang out there. I came back from West West Coast for a youth rally that we were doing at my dad's church and after the youth rally a couple college students and I we decided to go to River Park but we had done a skit and in the skit we all wore these really crazy outlandish wigs I mean huge afro wigs I mean these things were hideous they were ugly they were just hilarious and we decided that we were going to leave the wigs on and go to River Park and it's crowded with people, and we've got this huge wigs on. Actually, I take that back. I was the designated driver. Everybody else was going to act like idiots, okay? I just said, hey, I'm going to drive. That's it. That's all I'm doing. And um, so my brother Daniel and a couple others, Andrew Wittenberg was there. And so they put on these wigs, but they didn't just put put on the wig. My brother had this visor back when visors were cool for about two minutes. He put this visor on his Afro wig. So the top of his head popped out and it looked like a little mushroom. And then down here popped out. So the guy looked ridiculous. And my brother, I'm not very tall. My brother was a little bit shorter. And so he had this humongous hair. Okay. This is like 2004, 2005. And so we're walking around River Park and people are just staring and we're like, this is great. Man, this is awesome. We're getting so much attention. We're idiots. You know, we were just enjoying it, thinking this is great. Finally, one guy walks by us and says something that I'll never forget. He looks at us, he stops, and he's like, There's no shame in your game, and walks on. And I was like, That's awesome. 
I need to get a t-shirt of that or something. Maybe get it tattooed on my forehead. No, I wouldn't do that. But I mean, there's these things that it's like, we need to remember, there's no shame in our game. Hey, Christian, this morning, I want you to understand something. There should be no shame. You shouldn't look back even on the bad parts of your life with such utter regret, with other hatred, with other bitterness. Here's a thought, and we're going to continue to move on. Not only do we need to end end, end of our efforts, we need to stop our shame, but then we need to face our fear. Say, what do you mean? In this passage, there's one woman, and she's what the book is written after. Her name is Ruth. Ruth has married one of the sons of Naomi, and her husband dies. There's two sisters, and there's two ladies. One decides to go back, but Ruth decides to continue on. And here's what I got from here, and I hope this will help you. Don't let one thing ruin everything. Did Ruth's life change? Yes. Her life got harder, but it was not over. And a lot of times, you and I look at our shame, we look at an event, we look at that thing, and we say, my life is over. No, your life is harder, but it's not over. See, for Ruth, yeah, it was difficult. But she wasn't going to let the one bad thing in her life ruin everything good in our life. And here's what shame can do. Shame begins to take over your life. Shame just begins to cover. You just think, hey, I messed up on one kid, so all my kids, I'm going to fail being a parent to them. I messed up that relationship, so I'm going to screw up every relationship from here on out. I messed up that marriage, so I'm going to mess up all the other marriages. I messed up that job, so I'm going to mess up all of them. And that's what we kind of do. It begins to just kind of take over And it begins to take over our life, and we kind of think that we become what we did. You're not what you did. That's not you. And so we need to face our fear. Here Ruth decided, you know what? Yeah, my life is going to be different now. I lost my husband, father-in-law, but I'm not going to go back home. I'm going to continue on. And for some of you that know the story of Ruth, this is a powerful story. Something great happens because she decided, I'm going to face my fear. She's going to leave her home country. She's going to leave her, 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 her what is known, and she's going to go to Bethlehem. And she goes to Bethlehem, and this Ruth is an amazing woman. In chapter 2, verse number 3, they need food. They need to live. So in that day and age, some of you would know this, you would then glean from what the uh, farmers had kind of left over, what they would drop. And so the widows and maybe orphans, they would be allowed to go and glean what was dropped. And so Ruth decided, Hey, I'm going to go glean. And here's what's awesome about this passage, okay? In chapter 2, verse number 3, the Bible says this. And she, being Ruth, went and came and gleaned in the field of the reapers. And it just so happened to come on the parcel or the field belonging unto Boaz, which was the kindred of Elimelech. You see, it's amazing the Bible says it just so happened that it's just like almost like accident. No, it wasn't an accident. This, there's a reason she's at this field. You see, Ruth, there's something about Ruth. Ruth is a holy hottie. She's a biblical babe, and some good things are going to happen, okay? So, I mean, there's some good stuff that are going to happen because she decided, I'm not going to let one thing ruin everything. Can we say that out loud? I'm not going to let one thing ruin everything. That's the word for some of you. You're letting one thing ruin everything. You're letting one person at the office ruin the whole entire work experience. You're letting one person at your school ruin everything. You're letting one family member that you're not looking forward to around the holidays coming up being around, you're letting that ruin everything. So don't let one thing ruin everything, okay? Now, so 
That's what she decided. She said, okay, I'm not going to let one thing ruin everything. Because why? God has a plan to use your pain. God has a plan to use your pain. We're going to see it. I'm going to fast forward because we need to wrap this up right now. Boaz falls in love with Ruth. Ruth continues to glean in this field, and she notices that this owner of the field begins to take notice, that begin to help her. And so Ruth goes back to Naomi and tells Naomi, hey, I was gleaning in this field. They left some extra stuff. They let me uh, uh, go in and take breaks, and it was nice. It treated me really nice. And so Naomi says, hey, whose field were you gleaning in? Oh, it was Boaz. You're gleaning with Boaz. He's a relative of ours. All of a sudden, the lights go off in Naomi's mind, and Naomi's thinking, I know what's going on here. Because Naomi knew that she was a holy hottie and a biblical babe and said, I know what's going to happen here. So she begins to kind of set things up. I'm going to fast forward to chapter number four. Boaz and Ruth end up getting together. They end up getting married. And in chapter four of this passage, something great happens, okay? I'm going to read it. Chapter four of Ruth. Here's what the Bible says. Because this is so powerful. Because some of you are letting one thing ruin everything and you shouldn't. Verse number 13, the Bible says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went unto her, the Lord gave her conception. She bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, and his, and his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. There was something that needed to change. And here God was going to use this person, going to use Ruth's story, and God was going to take her pain, and he was going to use it in his plan, because God has a plan. So she has this son. Here's what's interesting, and this is going to, you just got to stay with me the last two minutes. Ruth has a son, and here's what his name was. Now, here are the generations, and, head, and let me begin. Verse number 21, and Salmon beget Boaz, Boaz beget Obed, Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David. You say, David, I've, I've heard of that name before. Hey, yeah, the king of Israel. You see, God wants to take what seems like a tragedy and turn it into a triumph in your life. If you'll just say, God, I can't change me. I'm going to come to the end of myself. I'm going to stop the shame, but I am going to face my fear. I'm afraid of what's out there. I'm afraid of being vulnerable. I'm afraid of taking that next step, but God will do something great. And I see in that genealogy that the king of Israel came out of Ruth's line. Not even just like, hey, five, ten generations away. No. Ruth and Boaz are the grandparents of David. The grandparents. In two generations, she went from being a nothing to being a something in just two generations. God turns it around. But that's not the best part of the story. As you read in Matthew, the New Testament, Matthew records in his gospel, in Matthew chapter number one, verse number five, he lists out a genealogy. And in the genealogy of Jesus, there are four women mentioned in that genealogy. One of those women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, her name is Ruth. You see, God decided to do something incredible because of one woman who said, yeah, I I need to change. I can't change. But I'll trust that God can do it, and I'll let him do it. Now, as I was driving over here to church, this doesn't often happen. I was just thinking about the message. And I was thinking for a second, there were two, there were two daughter-in-laws. The one we know, Ruth. The other one we don't know. And in this passage, I've often thought, wonder what would have happened if the other daughter-in-law would have come to Bethlehem. Would she have ended up with Boaz? 
And I began to go down that line of thinking. But then I realized in that passage, if you studied out, and we don't have a lot of time, we got to wrap this up. Boaz wanted to marry Ruth, but he couldn't because the Bible talks about that there was another relative who was actually next in line. And begin to think for a second. God knew what was going to happen to the husbands of these two ladies. He already had two men that could marry, that could continue the line. You see, in that day and age, you would continue the line. If there was a family member, they were the next. They would continue that line. They would then marry you. Seems awkward, seems kind of creepy, seems kind of like something from the south or something. But no, in biblical times, this was okay. So God had two ladies, and God also had two men waiting. One decided, I'm going to face my fear. The other decided, I'm going to go back to what's known. And we never hear from her again. Nothing else. This morning, you have a decision. Will I continue on? Or am I going to let shame just stop me right here? God wants me to reach my full redemptive potential. But for some of us, we're going to say, no, I'm going to keep trying it my way. And just like Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? For some of us, it's not working out too well. But if you'll say, I'm, I'm going to end my efforts, I'm going to stop this shame, I'm going to face my fear, God's like, I'll do something incredible with your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed.